Hi everyone, this is Anthony Diaz with The Pop Health Show, and this show is for anyone that has a super strong passion for making people healthier in this world, like Sarah, who's my guest today. Sarah Milburn is the, uh, she, she's a market intelligence specialist at Ascension. She's done some powerful things in health. She has a really fascinating background, but I'm not going to put pressure on her, and I'm not going to steal her thunder. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Anthony. Glad to be here. Yeah, no, thank you for making time to do this with me. And, you know, I love origin stories. And maybe you can teleport us back to where your yearn for health and for helping others came from. So I'd just love to hear a little bit about what series of events went on through your life that led you to where you're at today. Sure. Well, I was born and raised in Kansas and married my high school sweetheart, which we're still happily married. Um, But because we married really young, I just wanted to get straight to work. I wanted to be independent, I, so I didn't go to college right away. And I looked at the technical school offerings and nursing was the thing that jumped out as the most interesting. So I became a certified nurse's aide at an, ascension, at an assisted living facility. And this line of work introduced me to how a common and often hidden a social determinants of health issues really are Mm. because I mean the work my goodness we had three to four aides taking care of up to a hundred residents and you know hard work for pretty low pay and a lot of the staff members have really struggled Mm. and I mean fortunately I don't think we struggled as much or, you know, we were young and stupid, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I think our our worst moment was uh, we had bought a variety of kinds of ramen for just something different and Mm -hmm. a kind that was just disgusting. Mm. Um, And so it was like, well, okay, it's, it's because of the flavoring packet. So then we tried eating it without the flavoring packet. That was awful. And I actually stood there and went, but I can't throw it away. I spent 29 cents on this packet. <laughs> and now, yeah, that's, that sounds uh, really sad, but that's, you know, that's kind of what you had to deal with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the really light bulb moment um, was when a coworker of mine that I really looked up to, um, she was amazing. She was a hard worker. Everybody loved her. And she told me one day that she was having trouble feeding her children. Oh, wow. And she had tried to get food stamps and she was told she made too much. And she had gone to like all the free community dinners they could go to, but you know, that wasn't enough. Mm -hmm. So she went to the food pantry and, you know, she told herself like, I'm going to buy all this. Well, I'm not buy, but I'm going to get all this healthy food for my children. And she got there, and all that was on the shelves were chips and Twinkies. What? I mean, the shelves were pretty much cleared out. Wow. And when she told me this, she started crying. Mm. I mean, that was a huge moment for me because, I mean, I grew up comfortably middle class. And, you know, we, you know, certainly we had been charitable and, and that sort of thing, but it put a whole new cast on things to have this be my equal. 
and you know someone mm. that really respected mm. that I mean just changed everything for me I mean in terms of like oh well you're donating to the canned food drive mm-hmm. put in something that I want to eat mm-hmm. um, and so and I I started you know when I could uh, helping organize fundraisers and and that sort of thing and I'm very happy the grocery store that we go to now has a shopping cart that says, you know, for the food pantry right by the exit. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. knows he's like, Oh, so what are we giving to the food pantry today? Cause he knows that this is just part of our grocery shopping trip. We're putting something in there, mm-hmm. but I corrected him because at first he said, well, what are we giving to the poor people? And I said, no, you know, th- this could be, or the kids that you go to school with. Right. We don't know what's going on behind closed doors a lot of times because, I mean, people, you have to make those hard decisions and food, it's an easy one to cut. You mm-hmm. know, you put the roof over your head. You have to, you know, keep the car that gets you to work. But, you know, are they getting enough to eat? It, it's really hard to know sometimes. Wow. Wow, Sarah. Yeah, that's a really interesting perspective. Yeah. And, and, you know, you don't think about those things as much. I I remember when I went to school, you know, you would have, yeah, a lot of different people. There was like reduced lunch, there was like free lunch, but yeah, in this day and age, you never know like who's starving, you know, where you get your food from. And that, that's a dangerous area too, where you're not qualifying for food stamps where, um, and, and then the, you know, the, the head of the household is probably working two jobs just to feed, feed the household. Um, Sarah, this is a really good perspective. You've been, you were, you were at you know, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Kansas. You're at, you know, Ascension right now. You've been at a variety of different places and probably touching upon needs in general, right, for a while. I'd love to hear a little bit more about what you've been seeing from different perspectives and maybe some potential solutions that, that you're, you see promising, maybe in pockets or overall. I'd just love to hear a little bit more. Well, um, I... I worked, you know, in in insurance and everything, and it, I didn't see, like, these interests were still sort of different from work until I heard about uh, accountable care organizations for the first time, Mm. and was very excited to go work for Ascension Via Christi as a data analyst for their ACO, but at, at that time, I still hadn't heard of social determinants of health, and I was reading an article about it while I was working there. And it's funny, I think I literally, like I was sitting in my cubicle and I think I literally raised my hand and was like, hey, so what are we doing about this? Um, and just kept bugging everybody with that question <laughs> because the health outcomes that from the article I said, the article I read said, 30% of health outcomes are due to medical care, genetics, mm-hmm. and 60% to the uh, actual social conditions and that just tied everything together for me all my work mm-hmm. here and my you know bachelor's in sociology and my interests and everything and of course the answer was the ACO was doing things for its patients but ACOs have to focus on their populations that they are you know being told to manage mm-hmm. and I was like I'm Kansas hasn't expanded Medicaid yet. So I'm like, but what about the uninsured? And what about, mm-hmm. and so I ended up getting my master's degree um, in healthcare leadership and uh, 
probably, I, I made it my mission that every single paper I wrote, I made it about social determinants of health. Every wow. Um, but uh, my professors hadn't really heard of it yet. And now mm-hmm. they're, they're teaching about it. So, mm. um, and this was at Friends University, right? Where you got your master's, right? Uh, for healthcare <laughs> leadership, right? Awesome. And I'm on the uh, Kansas Public Health Association board now. Mm. Public health associations are, I mean, there is a whole document released about this is public health 3.0. Mm-hmm. It's instruments of health. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is what we need to be working at to make our communities healthier. No, this is, this is great, Sarah. And not to... Not to uh, do crib notes around your papers that you did in your master's, but what I what I'd love to hear a little bit about is, let's say you have a a hospital CEO that's up and coming at a hospital, or you know even someone that's a, a social worker or a nurse or a care coordinator. What's what's their what should be their their framework, their mental framework for thinking of social determinants of health as patients, individual patients, populations. Um, maybe maybe teach us a little bit here on what's the what's the mindset that you think people should adopt when they're in healthcare now when thinking of social determinants of health and sensitivities around it. Well, I, I think it's important to ask. Um, there's like some routine screening questions. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to ask those for everyone. Mm-hmm. There was one a study done. It might have been during the recession or something where uh, a pediatrician's office started asking the questions and, and they were in a wealthy suburb. I mean, I don't think they got, thought they were going to get any positive answers in, in terms of like food insecurity, but they did. Mm-hmm. People, you know, moved into these nice school districts to get their kids into the right schools and then somebody loses a job. And they're just trying to hang on, but mm. also some trouble with that. In, I mean, understandably, the parents had some concerns, like what if their children were going to be taken away from them? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you certainly do need to be sensitive to, we just want to help. We could, we're, we can connect you with some resources. I mean, there definitely needs to be. Mm-hmm no judgment and actually have connections to help. I mean, I think there are various platforms and um, things available for, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of referring people to those resources and following up. Mm. Mm. Sarah, this is, this is great. And just, just, you know, in terms of like kind of the present, what do you, what is the current like day in the life, um, you know, for a patient? Is it, you know, a patient gets discharged and then that gets handed over to a social worker or care, coordinate, care coordinator or nurse to follow up with that person and, and do those screening questions? And then if, if there is a need, what's, what's the standard process if there is one? So if I'm, if, if I'm a patient and someone calls me, who's calling me, you know, what role at a hospital? And then what, if I'm hungry or need shelter or employment or education issues or anything like that, are there set, set standard services that are standardized across the industry or for 
each hospital? I know that's like 15 questions in one. I'm just kind of getting, trying to get an understanding of like the, uh, you know, the current, the current scenario, you know? Well, I, I think part of the trouble is that it doesn't seem to be very standardized yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think in some other parts of the country, they maybe have it a little more um, streamlined, streamlined, ugh, streamlined and figured out mm-hmm. on what they do for their process. Um, and then other places probably aren't doing enough. Uh, really, I think those questions need to be asked in every setting. I mean, you know, at the primary care, uh, at the hospital, all of that. Um, I know Ascension Via Christi has a great transitional care clinic. Mm-hmm. Kind of keeps an eye out for the people that come to the emergency department that really didn't need to come to the emergency department. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to try to screen, like, do you need a primary care doctor? How do we get you set up with that? And mm-hmm. teaching the doctors to ask why, like five mm-hmm. minutes. Don't just write the patient off as non-compliant because they're not taking their insulin. Why are they mm-hmm. not taking their insulin? Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, a situation at like Anita in Illinois where they had this lady coming into the emergency department repeatedly. And they finally figured out, like somebody went over to her house and she was an insulin-dependent diabetic in a wheelchair. Mm. Her house had no wheelchair ramp and no refrigerator. Wow. So, yeah, she was going to keep bouncing back to the emergency department with problems with her blood sugar. Wow. And it's amazing. Gee, you know, you save a lot of money if you just help her get her refrigerator and a wheelchair ramp. Mm-hmm. And she's in better health. I mean, it's a win-win. And I think we have historically had it all too siloed and just thought that, oh, well, we can't do anything about their personal life. They just come in and we treat them and they leave and that's it. And Mm -hmm. I think that that mindset really needs to shift to a more holistic way of uh, looking at people and their issues and how can we help. And, And I mean, Maybe not everybody wants help, and that's fine, but certainly we need to look at the larger issues instead of just saying people are, are non-compliant. Wow. That's a polarizing image, yeah, and it's one that's probably very common, and following up with so much volume, right, it's very easy to say, yeah, non-compliant, and then just ignore the issue. On, on that scenario, how do you scale that? Is it like an Ascension or the health insurance company can actually pay for. It's unfortunate we still live in kind of like a, a economically selfish world, right? But who would pay for the ramp or the refrigerator? Or who should? Who, who did and who should? <laughs> yes. And I mean, unfortunately, I, I don't know uh, exactly who did in that one. Um, but I do think more insurance companies are starting to look at those issues more. Um, mm-hmm. Really it does make sense because, you know, they're in the business of controlling costs and it's a lot cheaper if you can get in on the upstream and prevention side of problems. So, Mm. I mean, I think that is good that you see more of them starting to get into that. Mm. It's interesting. You have me thinking 
what, and, and, I'm, and I'm sure you have a lot of deeper thoughts on this, but tell me more, a little bit more on day in the life. So say if you were starting your own hospital from scratch, what are, what are some things that you would put in place to, you know, make sure that people's needs are being handled? I'm sure you have some theses and some creative thoughts. And so I'd just love to, to, to listen to them. Well, I mean, like I said, definitely um, screening. I think it's wonderful when you have um, like partnerships where you have uh, medical clinics in food pantries and those sorts of things because transportation is often an issue too. Um, so when, as much as you can combine things as possible uh, would be ideal. Um, you know, if you could have all of that in the same place uh, where people didn't have to run all over town. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. And I mean, certainly, of course, you know, make sure that the staff understands these things. And I mean, there's things like I was really surprised to see that food insecurity is one. It's as much of a risk factor for diabetes as obesity. Mm -hmm. Know about you. I don't think I've seen that listed. Right. Like the posters of watch for the, you know, you, you need to work on these things to prevent. I don't think I've seen that on the list. But so sure. 2007. Yep. Wow. You know, what's interesting, and I'm sure you've seen this as well, is like the, the reimbursement ICD codes. There's Z55 to Z65. So like problems related, it starts off with educational literacy, then employment and unemployment. And then you have the exposure to risk factors. And I guess maybe the exposure to risk factors, maybe that's where food goes, but there's not really one called out for, I mean, these are kind of more like the lies, but one tied to food. Maybe that's an opportunity in itself, but the other risk factors that health insurance companies are looking for are obviously housing, economic, social environment, upbringing, problems related to primary support group, including I'm literally reading off the, uh, the ICD-10 website and psychosocial. Any any thoughts around some of those other elements on on anything promising you're seeing there regarding some of those pieces? Um, I'm, I'm afraid I, I haven't looked into that enough. I mean, I, I agree, certainly, if it's something that can be billed that will be reimbursed. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, I mean, that seems to be the carrot that, uh, yeah, things get going. Well, one, one thing, Sarah, that is big out here, um, obviously in San Francisco is the homelessness. I'm sure it's a problem where you're at as well, but there's, there's so much right integratedness and this, the, the mental health, the, the no home and the risk factors. Any thoughts or how should we be thinking about homelessness or how do you think about homelessness as it relates to patients coming in that are homeless? Um, always kind of curious to kind of hear, you know? Uh, it, it's very concerning because, I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, they often have a lifespan like 20 years shorter. Right. Um, so, I mean, that's a huge problem. And really, you know, I think Denver had a experiment where they actually figured out that it was 
cheaper to just give them housing mm-hmm. because of all of the services that are, you know, all of the money that gets spent, you know, arresting them and all of that. It was actually cheaper if they just gave them a place to live. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a hospital also that did, and they they were just trying to um, help their readmission rates mm-hmm. by uh, giving them, they partnered with a homeless shelter to just give these people that have been released from the hospital a safe place to stay for 30 days. And they were amazed that, I mean, they weren't even offering them like services really just a place to stay and a large number of them i don't remember the exact number it might have been like half um found their own housing in that Mm -hmm. um but yeah i mean if you think about it if you release somebody from the hospital i mean just needed surgery or whatever and they go back to living under a bridge they're going to end up having to come right back. I mean, that's not a conducive environment to healing. Right. So, I mean, it was in the hospital's best interest, you know, just to have this partnership, just to give them a place to try to get better for 30 days. Mm-hmm. And I mean, help their readmission rates, which of course they were, you know, concerned about. Right. Right. Yeah, it sounds like a model that really, really needs to be adopted. And then, you know, obviously, I think you have some leading hospitals. I know Kaiser started to invest in a lot in housing. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing some organizations and healthcare organizations, but there's others that are kind of like in the middle, right? It's like, who's they? Like, the city should do that, or the hospital should do that. If I was a hospital, I would just do it and invest in it. Math is there, right? But, um, you know, some of these hospitals, if they're not super large, don't have these functions to be able to, you know, like real estate, right? <laughs> and like, you know, but, but there's something there, Sarah, and this is, it's, it's good to talk about it. Uh, this is awesome. Um, Sarah, let me ask you, as you know, with some of our episodes, we always like to talk about the future of health. Tell me a little bit about what you'd like to see happen in the future and some of the things you see coming to fruition and in health and in the area of social determinants of health. Just love to listen to you about how you think about the future. Well, I, I don't know how far we'll get, I mean, on all the dreams I have, uh, but I think it's a good place to start to really discuss more the health savings that we could see uh, from implementing these things, because mm-hmm. I think, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but, you know, when you're dealing with you know, chief financial officers or whatever, they're not necessarily going to get won over by, you know, we should just love everybody and take care of everybody. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, you know, but I mean, there is solid financial basis for why it's better um, to do these things and could possibly even save money. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, we need to go at the problem from all angles that will help win people over. Mm-hmm. Hopefully we can do a lot more to have a better social safety net. Um, I think part of the reason why Europe has historically had better health outcomes is because 
I mean, yes, they have universal health care, but they also have a better social safety net. Right. Um, so, I mean, I, we definitely, I think we need to improve all of that infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you describe the social safety net? What, is, what does that look like in Europe? I mean, I kind of know a little bit for some of our listeners that may not be aware, you know, there's a lot of people who have never seen that in, the, in Europe, but they've never traveled to Europe. But what's an example or two of a social safety net? Um, and I'm trying to think, it, I'm sure it, it varies. Uh, some, mm-hmm. I, I think there's, there's more help, you know, if, if people are unemployed or mm-hmm. if they, you know, need assistance. Um, I think that is much more available than it is here. It seems to me that a lot of people fall through the cracks here. Our federal poverty level is set so low um, that, I mean, like like I said, my uh, friend, my coworker made too much. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, $13 an hour for a family. uh, I, I mean, but, you know, I mean, they it seems like we could really do a lot better. Um, and like I said, I mean, in Kansas, we're still fighting to expand Medicaid. There's, I, I think we really need to fill in a lot of those gaps where people are working hard, but they're not necessarily able to cut it. And I mean, I'm not a big fan necessarily of, you know, like, Oh, just give everybody public assistance, but right. But I mean, we need to work on it um, from every angle. In my current role, I'm kind of on the retention and recruitment um, research for HR. Where you know, how do we how do we reach out to people and and keep them happy? And you know, what what do we offer? I'm I'm really proud that Ascension offers things like um, socially just benefits where mm-hmm. you make below a certain amount, your insur- your health insurance is covered. Um, mm. You know, that we offer benefits like that to try to help people. And I mean, because, you know, everybody does deserve a, a dignified life, I believe. And right. That's something on one of Ascension's values is solidarity with the poor mm-hmm. on as, as my own uh, sort of value and motto that, you know, this is with mm-hmm. we all need to work together. We're all equals mm-hmm. to help everyone. I love it. I love it, Sarah. Well, a couple things. I just want to say, this is really great, you know, having you share your background and your passions and the future of health and your leadership and empathy, I think is really important. Um, and um, so I wanted to say this was great, you know, having you on and having you share your story and your truth. Um, Sarah, if our listeners would like to get a hold of you uh, and just to say hi, what would be a good way to do so? Well, I'd say probably through LinkedIn. Um, it's, it's under my name, uh, Sarah without an H, S-A-R-A. 
and then um, Melbourne with uh, two L's. Uh, hopefully, hopefully people will be able to spell it. It usually gets misspelled one way or the other. Yeah, no worries. No worries, Sarah. Yeah, we'll definitely link to it in the show notes. And um, this was great having you on. I would love to have you back as you work on more STOH-related uh, items or projects and just population health and you know, doing your, your calling and your life's work. And so I really greatly appreciate uh, you and, and what you're doing. And uh, to our listeners out there, this is the Pop Health Show. The show is for anyone that has a super strong passion for making people healthier in this world. Uh, Sarah, thank you so much. This was great. Thank you very much, Anthony. Thank you. Appreciate it.